I'm curious, Joe, like if we, if, you know, we are, if let's just say you are bearish and you are right, let, let's just say everything you're saying is accurate. The next decade unfolds as you're envisioning it potentially in a worse, not worst case, but bad case scenario. Inflation is real. It's here. What type of return do you like in your head as you're crafting a portfolio or like go out? Like, what do you think to yourself? in comparison to the past decade going into the next one, like is good. Like what do you aim for? Is it, you know, as far as just preserving assets and, and capital and like is 10%, 20%, is that considered a great year for you over the next 10 years? Or like, is it, how do you think about that in, in, in shifting your psychological mindset going into this yeah. environment? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, so there's certain things that I don't really think a lot about uh, one would be price targets, um, especially those that are like really far out into the future. Yeah, not a price target, just a general be... sort of return on oh, your I portfolio. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. Right. Oh, no, I get that. Well, I get that. Ray Dalio said 4% nominal over the next 10 years. Yeah, well, that, that, Versus that, would, be 10. For, that would be for Bridgewater, right? Well, just in, he said for the averaging investor, expect 4% nominal returns instead of the classic 10%. Sure. That's yeah. I mean, there are, well, there are a lot of there are a lot of forecasts out there that are, I think are bouncing around that. But I wasn't sure if your question was about me specifically. Yeah, I was talking about you as a as an investor. Like, and and yeah. the only reference point we would have for you and your risk tolerance and what you think is good versus bad would be like looking backwards ten years versus looking forwards ten years of like how you sure. were operating over the last ten years versus if that has changed what you now consider good. Yeah. Um, so. I would say that I think right now it's more challenging. I will be, but I also think that given how much effort I've already put into trying to understand the, the current environment, I think I'm well positioned to, to see opportunities, um, especially with folks like Grenade and there's other people that are coming in here that we're planning to, to be part of various desks and initiatives. Um, that's, that's really helpful. Um, but in terms of like, what do I see uh, as, as, as a return target? So I don't tend to think about return targets, but I do think that um, there are certain big opportunities. So like a lot of the money that I've made really came from like a small number of bets, maybe, uh, maybe 10 big bets over the past like five years. And if you size those bets correctly, then that can make up for you know, a whole lot else that might have gone wrong with like a, a broader basket of, of like more buy and hold securities, right? So like I tend to have a basket of those buy and hold securities, but then I'll try to size bets around particular opportunities like this one on leveraged loans. Like I, I'm highly confident that this is a great risk reward. I don't, I'm not even really worried about the trade moving against me because these are bonds. So there's, there's a limit to how far they could even move against me. Um, and so that's a massive position, right? And if I'm right, then I can make a heck of a lot of money. Um, right, it feels very big short-esque, that bet. Well, it's just, it's a different way of thinking. And I don't, like Bridgewater could actually put out a forecast of what they expect because they have a, they have a quant-driven strategy for the most part that's basically built a whole lot of mental models around various securities. 
but I don't really believe that that works terribly well. Uh, I think that the, I believe in an algo efficient market that has bubbles and mispricings due to retail investors. And I articulated what that means to me. I look for events that I know these algos don't read very well. And I look to see how those events are going to cause changes in the data that will force the algos to adjust. Um, and I think that this environment creates a lot of events. So one such event is uh, I increased my short today on Taiwan because the invasion into Ukraine is something that these quants don't understand. Geopolitical risk and the potential for Taiwan trying to move against or uh, China moving against Taiwan, like the, that risk went up materially. I don't know what it was before. I just know it's higher today, right? So I try to create a whole lot of these bets around things that algos don't see, but that I think they will see in the near term. That's the value of, of this event-driven strategy. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm doing. Uh, and yeah, I think that there's going to be a lot of opportunities because there's going to be a lot of events. Right. Okay. Cool. Spotting these is really fun too, by the way. If you guys see one, let me know. Like the Fed, the Fed turnaround, Janaid, remember that? Yeah, that was a good like, one. Okay. But the, I, the timing I of that, the it took ones. six weeks. It took six weeks. Was the Ukraine one, so you didn't know... Like the the way that this event thing works for me is I don't try to time the events. Like yeah. the event just happened. And then I yep. know that there's like usually like a four to eight week lag if the event will have an immediate impact on the economy. Right? Yeah. So the Ukraine one is like tough because how much of an impact did it really have on the global economy? I don't know that that's actually going to hit macroeconomic data feeding in the models. I don't know. So it's true, not true. really... It's well, the, the Fed one was more obvious. It was more. The it was, Fed yeah. one is like completely obvious. They told you exactly what was going to happen. Yeah. You knew when it was going to hit the macro data, and it was like timing that was like the exact same week. It was like the pandemic. Was the pandemic. Yeah. Hell yeah, man! Like this is this is great. Um, same thing with like Tesla. Tesla is going to become profitable. They were already profitable in terms of cash flow. But I knew these models focused a lot on whether or not you just had positive earnings. Yep, waiting right? for Vitae to become profitable now. That's a yeah. So you, like that'll be a like big day. Basically, day. that's what I saw. I saw the cash flows already went positive. So you know, earnings can't be far behind. Quarter later, boom! Like that was model-driven timing. It wasn't me staring at charts. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I think that this is an event. I mean, I think that the, the first correction after a 16-month period, I know the psychology is definitely going to get impacted. And if the psychology gets impacted, people tend to tighten up spending a little bit. You see that in consumer sentiment data. Okay. That seems like an event to me. I don't know. Some events are way easier to try to time, um, like the Fed one. Yep. Uh, and I, I actually think that, that this correction... Sorry, this is a little off topic, but I, I think a lot of money has been made in crypto, um, GameStop, AMC. I think that these are, are things that are contributing to labor shortage. And I think as these things correct, a lot of the labor market, I think, will ease up. Um, I agree with that. 
Um, I, I don't know how much though. The problem is there are a lot of other reasons why people are leaving the labor market. Like, you know, my nine-year-old daughter's running around making money in her business. Like if she can do it, you know, using a Google software that's free in her free time, you know, you better believe that these adults are running around basically finding ways to make money that don't necessarily show up in these logistics. Right. I, I agree with that, but I, I think that um, that reality is very unique. And I, and I actually don't think that's most people. Well, the gig economy, man. Like just hopping in an Uber and like. Well, the gig economy. Well, I mean, there's a lot. Yeah, that's true. Watching pets, you know, like uh, there's a lot of virtual um, stuff that's going on. I know because like we have folks in our community doing it. They're like building virtual jobs. That's like gig economy stuff, basically contract work. You know, maybe they're getting paid in crypto. Like, yeah. know, who knows? But like, I. Some of, the, some of this macro data, I think, is just getting increasingly hard to interpret. Um, and so that's why the prices, to me, prices, that's real. That's real, even even, even though some are heavily manipulated um, by central banks. But yeah, that's real. I'm paying attention to prices. Look at look at that. Look at look at how steady that drop is for, for high yield bonds. HYG. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see that? So when yeah. you see low vol like vol low volume steady volume and you see just like a steady miss like a Mel steady drop just a melting like ice that. cube yeah that is algos that's not retail traders pushing around like they can push around gamestop they can't push around junk bonds looking at the the, the two-year treasury is also something that i think is really interesting um it, it also appears to be algo driven um and and it uh, Gunlock in a, in a recent interview said that the, the two-year treasury is basically what what the Fed looks at. It's saying the funds Fed funds rate, and right. it's sitting at you know one and a half right now. Um, and it's just been steadily creeping up, just kind of in the same way as junk bonds. It's just kind of rather than melting down, it's just kind of melting yeah. just steadily up. One one thing that keeps some of that, I'm not exactly sure how to classify the Fed, um, but if you look at the Bank of Japan, for example like 95% of the volumes of, of, of Japanese government bonds are basically going between their Bank of Japan, their central bank, and the banks they regulate. So they control those banks, basically by telling them how much they need to uh, have in reserves. So right. that price is completely controlled by the Bank of Japan, right? And so some of these prices uh, you got to be careful how you're reading them because you, if you know that the Fed's engaged in QE and they're basically the setting, setting the, the, the zero, then yeah. they're basically setting the prices, right? So it's like yeah. people get all worried about these about the yield curve inverting, but it's like, yeah, the yield curve is inverting because the Fed decided to raise the short end, right? It's like, yes, that can have a constricting effect on the economy, but just jumping the conclusion that there's an inverted yield curve, therefore there's going to be a recession and yada, yada, yada. It's like, look at what's actually happening. <laughs> like the Fed raised the short end. Okay. I, I, the events thing, this is key. Like what are the things that are happening right now that are obviously going to hit the economy? but it just hasn't happened yet because of the delay and the effect. Like, to me, it looks like, it seems like there's a lot of bad things, right? Like, uh, 
continued supply chain disruptions, right. and not just because of COVID, but also because of just the broader, uh, uh, broader shutdowns, right, globally. Like, so that hasn't, that hasn't fixed yet. And it's like, there's also like rising protests and things like, this right. is really, this is scaring I, people, isn't it? I think the risk, as, as we discussed a little bit earlier, I think the risk for those is that they're only going to get worse. Like, like the risk is not that Don't they improve. In, in the that? Le- yeah. Like you, like, like, tell me, like, what are you guys seeing? Cause I'm hearing people like for the first time in years, my neighbors want me to talk about inflation for a while. They just wanted me to shut up. That was three years ago. Right. But like people are nervous, right? 